I was talking with Brother Matthew, who's down in South Africa, a couple nights ago, and uh, they've been having some wonderful victories. Things are going very well there. And he shared with me how the Lord gave a victory in a situation where there had been somewhat of a habit of defeat. And I told him, I said, the, the key now is while we're standing in the victory, we need to prepare to meet the devil. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but it's the truth. It says that Jesus went forth full of the Holy Spirit. He went down into the Jordan. He was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. And it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we got to get out of this notion that God's ideal scenario for our life is a, is a battle-free existence. God needs us to face and overcome the giants that the world around us thinks nobody can overcome. So it is part of our calling to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness and face the devil there. And that's what I have on my heart. Are we ready to beat the devil? Do you have a strategy? Are you prepared? I think of the passage that we're all so familiar with about when Jesus said, if, if a man is delivered of an evil spirit, that evil spirit goes and it wanders through the waste places searching to find a place that it can rest. I thought that, I had never quite seen it that way. That we are not only the potential habitation of God through the Spirit, but even evil spirits, they need human beings as their houses, as their nests. So they're bouncing around. And I hope when they come here, they find a desert. <laughs> Amen, a place where they're not welcome. But they go around and it says, finding no other place, they return to a place where once they were welcome. Bad habits, bad thoughts, bad attitudes, evil spirits are going to come back around and check on how the renovation is going on the house that they once lived in. And he says if they find it swept and put in order, and what is he describing? He's describing a house up for sale. He's describing a vacant dwelling that has nobody occupying it. When do you see a house swept and put in order just so when there's a for sale sign in the yard? No occupancy. For lease, for sale, call so-and-so. You know, it's a phenomenon even in Waco that certain thieves will search for houses that have for sale signs on them. You know why? Because they're, they're pretty confident nobody's in there and they can go and rob them of their possessions. But if there is every indication that this house is occupied, 
then the devil is going to come near the presence of God and recoil. When he comes to an empty house and he doesn't feel or see or sense the vibrancy of the Holy Spirit, the activity of God in his life, he's intrigued. He, he peers through the windows. He looks for pockets of darkness in the house that your body is. Paul said, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Just as God has said, I will dwell in them. Well, the devil's the same way as these thieves. If he comes close and he sees that it's vacant, he, he's intrigued. He wants to come in. But we're told that when people who were demon-possessed came around Jesus, what happened? They began to cry out. They got very uncomfortable. What have I to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? It makes demons very uncomfortable when they get in proximity to a well-occupied dwelling that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in truth may understand, may comprehend together with all the saints what are the riches of his glorious inheritance that is in the saints. We got to know that when the devil leaves, he's going to come back. And the door is our choice. It represents our decision, our will to bring in the Lord, to make him the occupant of this dwelling or to wait for lesser spirits to come for a visit. He stands at the door and knocks. He wants to come in and dine with us. He wants to come in and sup with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to laugh with us. He wants to plan with us. He wants to dream with us. He wants to be a living reality in our lives. And it's up to us He's knocking. He's standing at the door. It's up to us whether we let him in or not. But if we don't, then there's another creature in the neighborhood. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to eat. But resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So part of the prowl of the devil is when suffering comes, like we've been hearing recently, when things aren't going right, when it's not like we planned. That was what was happening to you, Jason. Do I have an opening here? And your task at that moment is not to say, I don't feel what I felt in the meeting. Your task is to say, I know whom I have believed. And though I don't feel it right now, amen, I'm not throwing away my confidence. It has great reward. I'm hanging on. Somebody once said, if you're going through it, keep going. Don't stand still and wallow in it. Don't get down on your belly and start crying about it. If you're in a dark spot, keep pressing, and you're going to see the light at the other end. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking. And then he says, but resist him. You're not welcome. We are not under his power. He cannot just walk into the house. I remember one time 
I was a young kid, and my parents were out of town, and we had this rascal of a rat terrier. And we shouldn't have probably had him in the house. I don't think my parents probably would have approved of that. But as it turned out, he was in the house. And um, some of uh, one of the friends who also, whose parents also were out of town <coughs> got an ungodly notion that they would just come pay us a visit without paying, uh, without knocking even. And uh, so we're sitting around in a very carnal state of mind in the living room, and all of a sudden the door burst open, bang! And somebody walks into the house, and we're kind of not knowing what to do. But the Rat Terrier was not paralyzed by any such uncertainty. <laughs> he came ripping out, of, out from under that coffee table, grabbed hold, and chased out. <laughs> and it was lesson learned. <laughs> Amen. It's like, we're not, it's not our task to open the door and dialogue with the devil. The Bible doesn't say, converse with the devil and win the argument. That's not what he says. He says, resist him. You will not win once you engage. That was the problem with Eve. She engaged the conversation. And he tried one way and she resisted a little bit, but she kept talking, so he came from another way. And then he came from another and another until he finally got his, got his way with her. Stop the conversation. Say, I know what I felt in the meeting. I know what God convicted me in my prayer. I re reject these thoughts. I reject these lies. No. I'm not thinking there. I'm not thinking that. I'm not going there. It's not happening. Amen. You say, but I can't control my thoughts. The devil's just, he's managing every one of my impulses. That's simply not true. You can direct your thoughts. How many of you can think of a cinnamon roll right now? Can you picture it? The circle? Can you kind of see the gooey frosting coming over the sides and the smell? Mm. It's making your mouth water. You want a cinnamon roll. She's not serving cinnamon rolls at the end of the meeting. But if you can, through casual conversation, if you can start to picture and imagine a cinnamon roll that easily, you can direct your thoughts in ways other than the ruts the devil has given you in your past. It's not maybe as easy when you're by yourself. Don't be by yourself. Get together where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. It may not be if you're just, if you're feeling sorry for yourself. Pity is the devil's favorite thing. It's when all the windows and doors get unlocked and he sees this drooping little house. He's like, oh, this one. It looks like it's ready for me. There's no pity in resistance. Turn the lights on. Turn the praise on. Turn the thanksgiving on. Invite your friends over. This house is occupied. I don't belong to you and you're not welcome anymore. But I used to, you know, live in that back room closet. Yeah, it's filled too. Get out. Don't welcome him in. Don't dialogue with him. Resist him and he will flee from you. Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, I do not want you to be taken advantage of by the devil. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul was afraid that they were going to get taken advantage of by the devil. Is it God's will that we battle him? Yes. But it's never God's will that he gets the upper hand. 
Jesus got the permanent upper hand position at the cross when he triumphed over him. And all we have to do is stay in that state of mind, stay in that state of heart, in that place of faith. And we, can, we don't have to be taken advantage of by the devil. But we got to know his schemes. we got to know that he likes self-pity. That's a scheme. Okay, I'm not going there anymore. We, gotta, we can't be ignorant of his devices. We've got to know that flattery, he corrupts the simple by flattery. That whenever I start feeling like I'm a really big something, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. I thought I was just realizing how good I am. But really the devil was flattering me and I didn't recognize his voice. Whenever you feel that pride, whenever you feel that self-pity, whenever you start feeling that condemnation of your past, reject it. Don't enjoy the conversation. Walk away from it. Resist him. Paul told Timothy, who was an apostle in the church, flee youthful us, which wage war against the soul. We're not supposed to stand there and have a conversation. We're supposed to get out of the situation altogether. Have a strategy. Say to yourself, what is my habit? Well, I am very defensive. Maybe that's your habit. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness as idolatry. Defensiveness can be an expression of both. Maybe you're having a struggle in your relationship and you can't quite get a breakthrough. You want it. In your mind, you long to do the law of God. But in your flesh, you just can't quite do it. But you're ignorant of the devil's devices. You... God would give you insight into what weapons he's bringing to the battle before you ever get there. And so if you're, if you're struggling with something, you know you've got a habit, you need to put in place a strategy. You need to say, what produces this defensiveness in me? What is it that puts me in this state of mind? What is it? Is it fear? Is it fear that nobody loves me? Is it pride? I thought I was a good Christian, and now you're telling me I made a mistake. What is this? And what am I going to do instead of slip into the rut the next time this comes? And if you don't prepare, if you don't determine ahead of time, if he says to do it when you're going to see a governor or a king, how much more when you're going to see the devil? He's going to come. Are you going to have a plan? Are you going to have a strategy? Are you going to say, this is how it works when I start to slip? This is how I do it every time? Do you find that you have noticed that about yourself? That you fall into certain ruts in a kind of rhythmic way? And you say something to yourself like, oh, here I am again. Well, you can break that if you'll have a plan. The next time I feel this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm turning the lights on. I'm turning the praise on. I'm inviting somebody over. I'm making sure the house is occupied. It may be a sin of habitual lust that you're trying to break. We, I ministered a couple years ago that I have never seen it fail that habitual lust works through self-pity. That's how it works. I'm not saying it's always that way except habitual lust is always that way. And if you know the mechanism of that, if you know how you get in that rut, you need to have a plan. And you need to cut off, you need to designate 
a section of time that is within your reach. Don't just say, I'll never do this again. You can say that, but you say, by God's grace, I'm going until next Wednesday and I'm talking to somebody and I'm committing this and I am not going to give in to this until next Wednesday. Amen? Go to the accountability partner. Talk to them. Say, this is what I've committed. Wake up every morning and say, devil, I'm waiting for you. I'm ready. I've got all the doors locked and the windows battened down and the house is occupied. You're not welcome here. If you just... I will never do this again. Mm, well, that's a good sentiment, but I am, I am very doubtful as to whether you're going to be able to follow through. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If it's habitual, if it's made a rut, you've got to get a strategy because the devil walks in those ruts and he sneaks right into your heart. If we're going to roll the reproach away, we've got to figure out how to be prepared for him when he comes to tie it back to us. Did Jesus see the devil coming? Did Jesus see the devil coming when he was yet a, a distance off? It says in John 14, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. So Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming. He was anticipating something. He did not say the ruler of this world is here. He said the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus knew he was moving toward a rendezvous, a face-off with the king of terror. And Jesus was going to make a public spectacle of this buffoon. He was going to show everybody that what you think you have no power over, if you'll do it my way, you can make a mockery of all of his power and all of his schemes. He saw him coming from a distance. And what did he do? He said, I got a feeling of battle's coming. I'm going to go rest. And he slept for several days. Said, Peter, is it here yet? And went back to sleep. Is that right? No. What did he do? He went to the oil press. He went to touch God's anointing and prepare himself for battle. Gethsemane means oil press. And what did he do? He said to the disciples, pray lest you enter into temptation. Jesus was tempted. This was the second go-round. The first time was on the mountain when he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And he left him for a more opportune time. And he's going to be tempted and his temptation is on his mind. Pray lest you enter into temptation. And what was he praying for? I got this in the bag, but I just want to build up some extra oil in my lamp. No. Hebrews 5 and 7 says that Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save his soul from death. He felt like his soul, the soul of the only begotten Son of God, was in the balance. And he was not going to sleep through it. He was going to pray through it. We're told that there, that the angels of God minister to the heirs of salvation. We don't know what ministering spirits are a swirl in our intercessory prayer, but they're there. We're told that the angels of God 
The eyes of the Lord, which are his angels, roam to and fro throughout the face of the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Jesus got a strengthening in Gethsemane that the disciples slept through and completely missed. Do you remember it says as he prayed, angels came and ministered to him? He didn't have a cavalier attitude toward it. He had a strategy. Let's go pray. Let's pray until we feel ministered to by the Spirit of God. The devil's coming. Are you praying? He's coming. He's going to come. Your adversary is in your neighborhood prowling around looking. Who hasn't prayed? Who's sleeping? Who's, whose lights are off? Who's got a for sale sign? Who is vacant of the Spirit of God? Hey, demons, let's focus on this one. Those other ones, they're no use. we got to flee from them. Peter didn't pray. With the mind, he was willing, Lord, I will not forsake you. But he couldn't pray. <laughs> he, could, he could want it. He could speak it. He could even tag along in the flesh. But he just couldn't pray. He just couldn't feel that demon coming and meet him in the weapons of prayer, through the weapons of prayer. He kept sleeping. Pray lest you enter into temptation. What was the temptation and did Peter enter it? He most certainly did. What was his temptation? What, the same temptation Jesus was fighting. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you if it be your will, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Through prayer, you strengthen yourself. You fortify your spirit to do God's will, even in the face of how painful it is going to prove to be. Jude speaks to us about this, doesn't it? He tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? Pray, build yourself up in your most holy faith. That's how we resist the devil, isn't it? What Peter said, resist him, stand firm in your faith. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and keep yourself in the love of God. We gotta pray to become stronger, to fortify ourselves. We can't just say, I'm a Christian, I know what's right, I've committed, amen. No, this is a battle. You got to enjoy this battle. You got to pray, God, when this happens, in Jesus' name, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to say. Lord, help me to stand strong. Lord, help me to do your will. God, take out of me every inclination to coddle my flesh in Jesus' name. You've got to engage through prayer. Amen. And you'll walk out of that prayer room feeling like you are built up in your most holy faith. You came crawling in broken down in your most polluted faith. But after some real Holy Ghost prayer, you're built up in your most holy faith, amen? That's what you feel through praise and worship, through prayer, specifically prayer in the Holy Spirit. When you yield to God, don't sit there and whine and yawn and stare at your watch. Get off your, your seat, get, off your, get, get on your feet and pace back and forth in a prayer room. Cry out to God. God, I've got to make a change in my life.
seek him with all your heart. Begin to speak in other tongues and feel the renewing of the Holy Spirit come. And that broken down faith that came groveling into the prayer room is going to leave built up in its most holy, secure faith. Amen. Peter was a spectacle and Jesus covered it. How did Peter yield to temptation? He knew that the devil, the ruler of this world, was coming. And his temptation was the same as Samson's. He imagined he could do it in the flesh. He could sleep because he had a sword. And you can yawn through teaching. You can doze in revelation. You can be distracted when God is equipping you by the Spirit because you lean on other things. Your sword may be your witty tongue. It may be your brilliance. You may be leaning on your, the fact that you're a businessman. You may be leaning on any number of things, how smart you are, how loved you are. And you sleep with your sword. But the devil is not going to be stopped by your pea shooter or by your little sword. So Peter reached for the thing that he had been counting on and it was just became an instrument of the devil itself, didn't it? Took off the ear of Malchus and Jesus had to rebuke the man who should have been there supporting him. God's cleaning up the messes that we're making when we try to fight in the flesh. What he's told us can only be won by the Spirit. Jesus said, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, I know you want to do it. That's why you testified. That's why you committed. But you, your flesh is in control, and it is weak. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And again, he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch with me one hour? And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. What a blow for the kingdom. No, not, not so much. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. And he's healing the solutions that Peter is spinning off. Amen. And when Peter couldn't win by the sword, what did he do? He says, they all forsook him. Then he starts denying him. We don't want to find ourselves in a place where we're denying Jesus. Jesus was preparing, preparing to make a public spectacle. When he disarmed rulers and authorities and triumphed over them at the cross. We're told in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able. Not so that you have better chances. Not to improve your diminishing odds. But so that you will be able. So when you see somebody completely defeated by the devil, I got news for you. They took off their armor. Because if they had put on the very things of the Spirit that God made available to them, 
if they had availed themselves of the arsenal of grace, of power, of faith, they would have been able to quench all the fiery darts and they would have been able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So when you crumble under Leviathan, it's nobody's fault but yours. There's a certain mentality that you've got to develop. My dad mentioned the scripture this Sunday, arm yourself with this attitude that was in Jesus. And I had also written down this beforehand. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Light itself is a protection against the devil. Turn the lights on. Tell him somebody's home. Tell him you've got a plan and you're ready for him. Submit therefore to God, James said, and resist the devil. There's a twofold thing going on here. This brother wanted to have a victory against the devil, but his victory only came when he submitted to a brother. Did you catch that? He wanted to get a victory, but you've got you to combine resistance and submission in one package. You've got to say, I am going to receive and submit to the hand of God in my life, no matter who, rep who that represents or who represents that to me, even as I do battle against the devil. Submission has to come before effectual resistance. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that they were enduring in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth. So he talks about all the weak parts first and then he starts gravitating into all the things that made him able to endure. In the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Hallelujah. That's what I want everybody to have in your hand. We can do this, God. He told the Ephesians, do not give the devil an opportunity by letting the day end while you're still pouting. Something like that. <laughs> you, you end the day and you're all brooding and somebody wronged me and the devil is prowling around and he's going to put a mark on your house, on your heart. But before darkness comes, you get your heart and mind clear with God. You say, Lord, please. He said, I will make my home in them. Lord, make your home right here. Amen. I know this is simple. I was trying to make it as simple as I could. I want us to defeat the devil. Satan, your kingdom is coming down. I can be victorious. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He doesn't say in Romans 8, he doesn't say, what can separate us from the love of God? For he has made us almost adequate. He said he has made us more than conquerors through him who loved us. As soon as you cop that attitude of self-pity, that you've already given the devil the victory. That's how Esau was such a pathetic loser because he felt so sorry for himself. That's how Cain was such a feckless loser. That's how Saul could become such a weakling because they all three felt sorry for themselves. 
You be wary of that evil heart of unbelief, that coddling, whiny, drippy spirit of self-pity. The devil loves it. You're putting his mark on you saying, I'm available. But the victory that overcomes the world is standing firm in your faith, building your faith up and saying, no occupancy here. side out. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thank you, Jesus. We once were black holes, but we're becoming stars. Amen. Not as the world thinks, but what did he say? You shall be a, a, crown, a, 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 a torch in the hand of God, a royal diadem. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to shine. He says we're going to shine like the stars. Amen. Amen.